0: Stay up on your feet for one quick announcement. The tomb is still empty. Last week was Easter, but I just want to declare that Jesus is still alive. He didn't rise to die again, but Jesus rose victoria- victoriously and triumphantly. He is now ruling and reigning, reigning, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead and to gather with him all those who have trusted on his name and City Light, what we learn is that when it looked like the end for Jesus, it was only just the beginning. Amen. This morning we're going to finish out the book of Luke and it, what looks like the end of the gospel account and the ministry of Jesus, we learn is only just the beginning of this advent, this movement, this wild thing called the church that we're a part of. And the promise for every one of us who have called on the name of the Lord is that what looks like the end, at the end of our life, when our bodies widen down and we breathe our last, what looks like the end is only just the beginning. This morning I want to preach a sermon titled, It's Only Just the Beginning. And so as you find your seat, would you high five someone next to you and tell them, It's only just the beginning? It's only just the beginning. I want to welcome you here. My name is Gav, and I'm one of the pastors. And uh, as you grab a seat, also grab your Bible. Turn in your Bibles to Luke in chapter 24. Uh, We will be in verse 36 and following. City Light, this is our 28th and final sermon in the book of Luke. I hope that God has spoke to you through the book of Luke. Uh, But this is it. We're going to close it down this week. And uh, to say I'm excited for Philippians next week is a vast understatement. Uh, But we're going to look at Luke one more time this morning. And uh, the 24th chapter of Luke is all about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Three different resurrection accounts, appearances of Jesus, happen in Luke 24. And so the very first one, Chrissy preached on last week on Easter Sunday. Uh, The next resurrection appearance is the Lord Jesus as he visits with two of his followers on the road to Emmaus. Uh, One of my favorite chapters or passages in all of scripture. And this morning we're actually going to look at the last and final resurrection account of Jesus uh, in the chapter, the third and final in the book of Luke And um, so today's going to feel a little bit like Easter all over, but here's why. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just an Easter thing for the Christian. It's the very thing that gives value, meaning, life, and purpose to this gospel that we preach I want you to understand that the resurrection of Jesus is a huge, huge deal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the thing that sets him apart from all other world religious leaders and founders of philosophies and ideologies and worldviews and various ways that we think about our lives because it's the resurrection of Jesus that is unique to him unlike anyone else. Jesus Christ of Nazareth alone predicted his execution burial, resurrection, and then pulled it off, validating his claims. This is immeasurably important to us City Light Church. And so this morning, I just want to remind us, listen, this whole thing, this whole Christian faith, this whole Christianity, it's not about the sayings of a dead man. This is not religious philosophy or ideology. This is not just tradition. Jesus is alive, and he is ruling and reigning, and we are following a living, loving, reigning, saving God who is here present among us. Are you with me? Yeah. The resurrection is a huge deal. What we find about the resurrection is that often when things look like uh, they're at their end, it's only just the beginning. And So I want to I take a look at this idea as we spend one more look, one more time, looking at the resurrection of Jesus and the gospel of Luke. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at these last few verses, and uh, we are going to set down our roots, and we're going to unpack three different truths that we learn about the resurrection. We're going to apply that into us as a church family. You with me? All right, here we go. Number one, let's get after it. Truth number one, write this down, Jesus is alive. That's what I've just said in my whole introduction, but I want you to add, write this in your notes, in parentheses, bodily And physically, one of the points that um, Jesus goes out of his way to make to his disciples that we oftentimes overlook in thinking about the resurrection is that Jesus didn't just rise um, metaphysically, euphorically, ethereally, in in a vision or an appearance. His body got out of the grave. It was a bodily, physically resurrection. Uh, Let me show you from our text. Real quick, remember the setting here. It's early on Sunday, the the, um, women had gone to the tomb, realized Jesus wasn't in there, came back to report to the eleven, Jesus is not in there. So Peter runs to the tomb, sees that our Lord is not in there, comes back to the eleven. Two followers of Jesus had been traveling to another town called Emmaus. The resurrected Jesus appears to them, they come back to the eleven to report, we've seen Jesus, okay? So that's the setting, you've got the eleven disciples that are left, you've got the women, and you've got the two followers who had been on the road to Emmaus, and they're standing and they're talking about what has just happened. Jesus is alive, and that takes us to our text. Look at verse 36. It says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Can we take a moment and just appreciate the humor of this scene? Everyone's talking about how Jesus is alive. Jesus steps into the scene, and I imagine being Jesus, thinking, okay, how can I, how can I make a soft approach here? Because I know, you know, he didn't jump up and say, boo, it's me. You know, he <laughs> comes in, peace be with you. Nonetheless, how do they respond? Ah! It says they were frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. They're saying, ghost! I don't know how Jesus could have stuck that landing any softer. Peace be with you. They freak out. Verse 38, and he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet the disciples' reaction is um, understandable. If you ever met anyone that died, you went to their funeral, and then three days later, they're standing in your midst. Right? If you have, again, like Chris said last week, email me. I would love to talk to you. This is a, this is a once um, in history human encounter. So this is a startling existence. Um, and their first reaction is, it's a ghost, right? If you don't have a category for a loved one that you'd just put in the ground, and now they're standing before you. It's natural to think, well, this is, you know, they're back from the grave. I'm imagining this. This is their spirit that um, that is among us. But here's where Jesus corrects them right away. He says, no, 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 no. This is a bodily resurrection. The first thing he does is says, look at my hands. Seeing the nail scars and and, uh, marks that were there validating that it was him. And then he says, touch me, feel. This is not You're not imagining this. I'm not appearing to you. My body, my physical bodily existence has gotten out of the tomb and I am alive bodily and physically before you. What Jesus is proving to them is that his resurrection um, was not just a a spiritual, ethereal, mystical existence, but a hugging, eating, talking, physical body. He says, touch me, feel. Then he starts smashing on some fish and chips, saying, ghosts don't do this, okay? Who's got some long John Silvers? I'm eating. I'm a, I'm a person. There's a physical reality to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's what Jesus wants his disciples to know. Now, let me press this in, because this is new to some people. Some people have thought, yeah, he rose from the grave, but have not given it much thought. Let me, let me press in kind of two points of application that I think we should take from the bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus. Number one, this is an incredible apologetic to the whole Christian faith. Here's what I mean. Think about the answer to this question. Why is it that we know so little about the tomb and burial place of Jesus Christ? I mean, obviously he rose, but really think about that. Historically, in and around Jerusalem, in the time of Jesus, there had already been some 50 or more um, memorial tombs where um, a religious person or a, a holy man, someone who was seen as a religious or influential person, had died. And they did what we do today. They memorialized the tomb, right? You can go to Elvis' tomb because he was loved. He was a figure. People bring memorabilia. uh, They bring flowers and the like. And you remember the person by remembering the tomb. That was commonplace in Jerusalem. Fifty different religious leaders, their their tomb had been um, validated and venerated and celebrated as a holy place. But not so with Jesus, No one ever brought flowers to the grave. No one brought memorabilia and hung out. They went one time and never again. Why? If they wanted to remember Jesus and honor Jesus, they would go into town and have breakfast with Jesus, give him a hug, and listen to his Bible study. That's what he was doing for 40 days. The Bible says that he met with individuals and crowds, up to 500 people. Jesus in the flesh was in rooms just like this, leading Bible studies, continuing his ministry. And so why does no one go to the tomb? He's not there. All the attention went to the physical, bodily, resurrected Jesus, and people met with him. Upwards of hundreds of people met with him. Uh, Later, books of the Bible actually use this as great evidence to the resurrection. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 mentions people who were still alive who saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. He's saying they're still alive. You can go talk to them. People touched him. They felt him. They knew them. And because of that, you can fly to Israel today And historians and tour guides can speculate and conjecture. I think most of it's racketeering, and they're after your tourism dollars. Show you the grave that Jesus was in. They don't know. They have no idea why. His body walked out alive, and all the attention went on to him. Jesus is alive. This is a great, great apologetic to the Christian faith. Number two, the bodily resurrection of Jesus has Great application and implication for us, apart from just validating who Jesus Christ is, um, what the Bible teaches us is that, is that we too will be resurrected in physical bodies like Jesus to be with Jesus for all of eternity. Now let me, let me preach this in, because this goes against um, a very common cultural understanding of heaven in our day. If you were to ask anyone on the street, what is heaven going to be like? I think a common understanding as well, we'll, you know, we'll be in the clouds and I'll like sit on a cloud and probably have wings like an angel and play a harp next to Jesus who's in a white dress with blue eyes and, you know, it's like a Charmin toilet paper commercial. It's like we, you got clouds and harps and ain't nobody getting wings, you know, this is not, but this is our, our view of heaven. No, 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 no. The Bible's picture of heaven is vastly different. There is a period of time, uh, before Jesus comes back, when we die, our spirit leaves our body. Body goes in the ground, or whatever you're going to do with that part of you, your spirit goes to be with the Lord in present time. And it stays there until on that last day, Jesus comes back to the earth, and the Bible says over and over again that our spirit will be reunited with our resurrected physical body. We are embodied beings, we will be in a body, with Jesus, who exists eternally in a glorified body, and we will live in a physical, tangible, touch it, feel it, renewed heavens and earth. We will be physically in a body for all of eternity. Now, um, this has implications not only for the way that we think about the future, but the way that we live our lives right now. Um, when the early disciples saw the resurrected Jesus in a body, Light bulb goes on in them that they too will rise again from the grave in a physical body. What you see is the cowardly disciples become courageous. When it dawns on them that death is not the ending, but only the beginning, you see them go out courageously preaching the gospel and planting um, churches and being courageous witnesses for Jesus Christ, because they realize that even if I lose my head doing this, it's only just the beginning. City Light, realizing that Jesus rose bodily, physically, and that you too will rise bodily and physically, has implications not for just how we are going to die and see our future, but how we live today. Has this happened for you? Has this changed your perspective? A lot of new Christians in the room, I know that. We've seen a lot of new Christians here. Very few people have thought about that reality, that Jesus has not just saved you from your sins, so now you can get hit by a bus without peace, but it radically changes your perspective on life and how you live today. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's changed everything for me. How I evaluate success, how I make decisions, how I take risks, how I pray into things, I realize that that last day is no longer the final day, but just the transition into a better day for me. Changes the way I view life. Has this happened for you? I want you to think about the resurrection of Jesus and your coming resurrection and ask yourself the question, is there any, anything in my life that needs to be rearranged and reorganized and reprioritized in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Maybe for you, let me ask, is there a conflict in your life that right now seems like the biggest deal that's going on, right? You've been hurt, you've been wrong, you've been dinged, and you want to harbor unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness and be the victim. What I want to ask you to do is imagine yourself in 100 years, standing before Jesus and ask yourself the question, on that day, will I be glad that I handled things the way that I did on this day? Or does the resurrection actually free you to let go of some forgiveness and to live in light of that day? Maybe for you it isn't like a negative thing you need to work through, but a positive thing. Is there a call of God that he's placed on your life? A new step of faith that he's invited you to take, and, and you've prayed into it, and you've sought counsel, and you know what the Lord is asking you to do, but yet you refuse to move forward because you're operating out of fear rather than faith. What the resurrection allows us to do is is have a new scorecard for what is a win in life. I don't need to live just for this day and next week, but in light of eternity, and the resurrection of Jesus allows me, frees me to fail and to take steps of faith. Right? This happened for the early disciples. When they saw the resurrected Jesus, they were filled with faith. That's what the gospel allows us to do. So let me ask you, Jesus rose bodily, physically, in the flesh, and so will you, Is there anything in your life that you need to reorganize, recalibrate, or reprioritize in light of that truth? Let me make one more little point out of point number one, the bodily resurrection of Jesus and of us. Can I also just say, won't it be nice for you and me to get new and resurrected bodies? I know that's a smaller point, but I mean just very practically. um, So I'm still a fairly young guy. Not next to you, Jake, but definitely next to you, Vaughn. I'm a I'm a young, young guy, but even recently, um, I've learned there's a big difference between 22 and 32, right? Up here, I still feel 22, and um, just like three weeks ago, I went for a run. I had not run in a long time, and I had broke my foot a couple of years ago, and I couldn't run. So I used to have a baseline mile pace. Like, even if I haven't ran in a year, I can still go out and run like an 8.30, 9-minute, like, I'm going to hurt, but I can run like an 830 mile if I push it. So I got out a couple of weeks ago. I hadn't run in years because of my foot and stuff. I thought, oh, I can still like nine, you know, like I got, I feel good. I'm not overweight. Like i am just, I'll pick it up. It was like 1020. I mean, you can walk and it just dawned on me. Like that didn't feel any different, but it was a minute and a half. What happened? I just realized I'm not 22. I'm 32. And all of a sudden I sleep wrong And my back hurts, you know? I run and my knees hurt. I look in the mirror and there's like hairs growing out down here. And I try to wipe it off and it doesn't come off. I'm like, man, I just got over adolescent back knee. And all of a sudden I got back hair. Like, I'm never going to look good with my shirt off my entire life. I just skipped. I skipped the prime. I went from like awkward to uglier. I don't know. But I just, right? And that's 33. I don't even want to know what 43 feels like. 53? You know, Dory, how's 63? I mean, it's just a brutal. Just kidding. Some of you guys age in reverse. But isn't it true? Listen, whether you're young or old, some of us, all of us, will one day long for a new body. Some of you who have been, you know, impacted by disability and chronic pain and illness, and listen, there is a day and there will be soon a day where there's no need for wheelchairs or dialysis or chemotherapy or ibuprofen for crying out loud, because we all will be in resurrected bodies, glorified bodies, Philippians says, to be with Jesus and like Jesus in bodies forever. It's good news. Number one, Jesus rose bodily and physically, and so will we. Point two is this Jesus is the point. Number one, we learn from the scripture, Jesus rose bodily. And physically. Point number two, Jesus is actually the point. Let me show you what I mean. Jesus is the point of all of human history and of redemptive history and of the Bible and of our lives. Here's where I get it in the text that Jesus is the point. Go back to our passage. As soon as Jesus is done saying, touch my hands, feel my side, it is me, let's eat some fish, his next priority is to do a Bible study, okay? Once the shock has worn off, they know he's alive in the flesh, it says that he then opens the scriptures with them. And look at what he says, verse 44. It says, Then then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus, because of everything he showed them about the scriptures, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. I've listened to a lot of sermons. I've been in a lot of Bible studies. If I could go back to any point in history and sit in on a Bible study, this would be the one. After the shock is worn off and Jesus shows them I'm alive bodily and physically. Now let me show you from the Bible how this has been the point since the very beginning. When it says that he showed them from the law of Moses to the prophets to the Psalms, that shorthand for all of the Old Testament, all of the written scriptures in that time. In the passage right before, he has a similar interaction with the two followers on the road to Emmaus It says that he opens their mind and shows them, beginning in the very beginning, all the things concerning himself written in the scriptures. What Jesus is showing them is his life, death, resurrection in the body is the very point of all of the Bible. This is not God's plan B. God's chosen Messiah, chosen one, a Messiah, Savior, didn't get killed unexpectedly. And so now God's got to, well, how are we going to get this worked out? Oh, well, we'll get him up in the grave. And you know, this, is, this has been the plan. This is God's plan A since he spoke the world into existence. And where does he go to show him that? He takes him to the Bible. Beginning with Genesis, he shows him that it's always been about Jesus, It's always been about the cross, and it's always been about the resurrection. Jesus is the point. Now, I wish we had another 45 minutes. I'd love to do a long Bible study about Jesus in the Old Testament, but let me take just like three minutes and show you tip of the iceberg. Where do we see Jesus in the Old Testament? I don't know exactly what Jesus preached to them. I wish I could be in this Bible study, but we have the same Bible that Jesus had. Let me show you just the tip of the iceberg, scratch the surface, flyover of Jesus in the Old Testament. Start in the very beginning. very first verse of our Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Who is that God? Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, the gospel, says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And he created everything. What he's saying is that the God of Genesis 1 was Jesus Jesus. It was about Jesus from the very first verse of the Bible. Go forward three chapters. We preach it in our Genesis series this last fall. Um, right after the fall, God speaks to the serpent and he curses him and he says that there will be a male son born of a woman and, and you will bruise his heel but he will crush your head. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Theologians call it the Proto Evangelion, the first gospel. Three chapters. Then speaks of Jesus Christ. He was bruised on the cross. But in his resurrection, he crushed the head of his enemies. Jesus is the point. Exodus, we find the story of the Passover lamb. We talked about it on Good Friday. The lamb that was sacrificed, that the wrath of God would pass over God's people. That's Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb. His atoning sin and blood covers our lives, that the wrath of God would pass over us forever. In Leviticus, we get a picture of the high priest This crazy system where you had this man that was um, to be the mediator between heaven and a holy God and sinful man on earth. Why do we not have priests anymore? Because Jesus is our great high priest, the book of Hebrews says. The priesthood office is all about Jesus, fulfilled in Jesus, the one mediator between God and man. We also have in Leviticus the whole detailed sacrificial system. Have you read it? It's exhausting, lambs and bulls and goats and blood and if you do this then do this and the meticulous offering what is it showing us is God's wrath really satisfied in the blood of animals it's a signpost pointing to the ultimate sacrifice the culmination of the sacrificial system Jesus Jesus is showing them I am the point Deuteronomy Moses says there's a greater prophet who would come Jesus is that greater prophet he is the very word of God can I keep going I'm going to go quick. Joshua, picture of Jesus, the greater leader, leading God's people into the greater promised land, the kingdom of God in heaven itself. Judges, shows the inability of worldly leaders to lead God's people. And so we see a picture of the greater judge, Jesus Christ, who would come to lead his people. Ezra depicts Jesus as the Lord of our fathers. Job says clearly that the Redeemer is coming. Esther gives us a picture of Christ interceding for his people. The Psalms is filled. Dozens, hundreds of images and prophecies and pictures of Jesus Christ, including his very words on the cross. The very picture of him is our good shepherd, Isaiah. They call it the fifth gospel written some. Hundreds of years before Jesus, it details his birth. It gives great detail of his physical appearance. It talks about his healing ministry and his triumphant atoning work on the cross. Um, Jeremiah reveals that he will be acquainted with sorrows. Joel tells us that he is the hope of his people. Amos tells us that Jesus is the judge of the nations. I'm running out of air. Obadiah writes that he is, um, has a coming eternal kingdom. Jonah gives us a picture that he will die and be buried for three days only to rise again to preach repentance. Zephaniah says that he will be the king over all of Israel. Zechariah tells us that he'll ride into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Malachi says that he is the son of righteousness. Don't you see? All of the Bible is about Jesus. Direct prophecies explicitly stated to images of of David, the unlikely hero who killed the the, the enemies of God, the, the one hero to save the many, Joseph, the unlikely one, right, the rejected brother who came to save the whole family. All of it is is but a sign and a type and a metaphor pointing to God's ultimate redemptive plan: the life, death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus's point is, I'm the point. Don't be startled at my resurrection. This is the culmination of what God has been planning and redeeming since the very beginning. This book is not 66 books collected of various theological topics and themes and ideas. This is one book, 40-some authors, inspired by one Holy Spirit, telling one story and with one climax and one hero, the death, life, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the whole point. So... How do you apply that into our lives? Well, let me ask just a couple questions before we move on to our last point. Number one, if Jesus is the point, if he's the point of all of the scripture, some 1,200 years of prophecy looking forward to him, some 2,000 years looking back, if Jesus is the point, shouldn't Jesus be the point of our church and of our lives? Shouldn't Jesus be the point of our church and of our lives, the very centerpiece You might say, well, of course Jesus is the center of the church. I mean, City Light, it's a church, it's a Christian church, so Jesus is the point. Well, it's not always that way, and we can't assume that it won't be that way. We need to contend for that, that Jesus will be the point of our church and of our lives. It's very easy for any church to just become about a religious system or an organization that generates revenue and you got to keep the ties coming in and so you got to entertain the people, you got to keep the machinery going. It can be, become easily a platform for um, you know, a, a leader who just wants to influence and to hear his own voice. It can become about various social causes and um, various issues in the culture. It can be a, a safe place where we can protect the religious Christians from the dirty outside world. All of that. City Light, may it never be, may it always only be about Jesus Christ. Would he be the center of our church? Jesus is the point. I know that's obvious, but it doesn't go without saying. Number two, um, would Jesus be the center of our lives? Of our education, our entertainment, our vocations, our families? If Jesus is the point, shouldn't he be the point of our lives? Would he be the very nucleus that everything in our lives orbits around? And then one final point of application. As we think about how God has a plan and about how Jesus is the point, and we see a picture of how God even redeems the darkest day in all of human history, the murder of the only innocent man, Jesus Christ, and we see that through it he had a plan and he had a point, shouldn't we conclude that even in our own lives, should we not have a great peace to know that God has a plan and that Jesus is the point? Even through our own trials, even through our own tribulations, Can't we look to the cross and the resurrection and say, even in my defeat, I know that Jesus has a redemptive plan and that it's only just the beginning. So we may not know the plan, we may not understand the plan, we may not even like the plan, we might not have control over the plan, but we know the one who does. And our peace is in him, not understanding the plan. Jesus is the point, Jesus is the point. Uh, Point number one, Jesus is alive. Point number two, Jesus is the point. Um, Let me hit one final and brief point with us. Uh, Point number three, I want to press in that Jesus gives us, his church, a power and a purpose. Jesus gives us a power and a purpose. Look at verse, verse 47. It says, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's the purpose. That's what he gives his church. That's the Luke equivalent of Matthew's great commission that we should make Jesus and his forgiveness known to our neighbors and to the nations. And then he gives us the power. Uh, My Bible turned over in the wind. Um, Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's the power. Clothed with power. The ultimate power suit clothing us. Jesus Christ sends the Spirit of God Himself to live in and through His people. We know from the book of Acts, sometime later, the Holy Spirit falls from heaven and indwells the hearts, minds, and lives of all of the believers. And so too today, everyone who has trusted Jesus Christ has been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. City Light. It's now our turn. This church got the purpose to make Jesus known, and they got the power of the Holy Spirit. And you fast forward, well, who has the purpose and the power now? Well, look around. It's us. This is our time in human history. God has given us the same purpose, to make his name and fame great among the nations and our neighbors. And he's given us the same power that he gave the early apostles and followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, these disciples didn't have much, but they had a confidence in the resurrection. And they had the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And through it, they changed the world. And City Light, it's our turn. No one is alive on this earth except the generation that is here. And we as the church have the same spirit to pass on the same purpose and power to the next generation. God has called us to be his witnesses on this earth. So Jesus is alive, and Jesus is alive in us, and God has given us a power and a purpose. And I want you to know, anytime we speak about evangelism or mission or sharing our faith or making Jesus knows, I think there's a little defense attorney in all of our hearts that says, right? I, uh, I mean, I trusted Jesus, but I don't want to be like that guy. And I, you know, we all know that guy. Listen, I, I'm not telling you to be that guy, but I, I, I honestly want to tell you this is the best news of your life, that you have a purpose greater than yourself. That's not a burden, that's an incredible blessing. To tell someone about Jesus, to love someone like Jesus, to point someone towards Jesus is the best thing you could do with your breath on this planet. And God has given you a purpose greater than yourselves, and he's given you a power to pull it off. Listen, I think our generation is more bored and entertained and comfortable and overstimulated and lost than any other generation. And the great news of the purpose of God is that he invites us off of the treadmill of our short-sighted, self-focused, trivial, and small missions, and he invites us into the grand mission with eternal consequence, and he gives us a power to do it, the very spirit of God inside of us. Personally, I want you to know this is great news for me. I'm thankful that I have something to put my hands to, that I can give my life to something, and it's not building a big church and Preaching and all this stuff, but the greatest joy of my life is if someone through me could know Jesus in a personal way and walk with Him and pass that on to their kids and pass that on to someone else. Man, that's not a burden. What else do you want? Some of the best moments of my life haven't been a paycheck or a raise or a promotion or a vacation, but to know that God has used me to introduce them to the love and the life of Jesus Christ. There is no greater gift. God has given us a power and a purpose. Amen. City Light, Jesus is alive, he is the point, and he's alive in you, working through you. Uh, Let's pray that we would live in light of that. Jesus, you are alive. God, we know that intellectually, but would we believe that in our hearts, and would we live in such a way, with such a confidence, that it transforms not only our picture of the future, but the way we live in the present. Number one, God, I want to thank you for the good news that we're going to get new bodies. I want to spend just a moment, God, I don't know what's going on in the room right now, but I know there's people in our church who deal with chronic pain, disability, all of that. All of us have an expiration date, but some of us know that it's coming sooner than others. Spirit of God, would you just minister in hearts right now to reassure us of that great promise that just as you rose, we too will rise to be like you and to be with you. Jesus, we look forward to seeing you in our new bodies. And by your grace, would you make mine so tall that I could dunk with two hands? Just a side note, Lord. And God, we as a church now, would, would we not just be a pious club, but would we really embrace the power and the purpose that you have given us? To be your light to the nations and to our own neighbors. God, would you take away any fear, anxiety, or sense of burden of that great commissioning that you've given to us? But we, would we with great joy be a light to our city and to the world for Jesus Christ? God, as we take communion now and respond to your word, would you minister to us uh, in only the ways that you know how to do? And we pray in Jesus' good name. Amen.